Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the beautiful historical Marionette Theater. You're here for a show about film and television trivia. Take your seats. The next matinee minutia is about to begin. In the decade following the American Civil War, Mrs. Rhett Butler finds herself struggling to survive the death of both her best friend, Melanie Wilkes, and her firstborn child, Bonnie. Still married to Rhett Butler, but their relationship on the rocks, will Scarlet manage to pick up the pieces? Will Ashley be her rebound? Will Tara ever be home again? Well, lace up them corsets, ladies, and strap on a bustle. <laughs> it's time for Scarlet, the miniseries. Hit it, boys. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen, a pinch of golden oldies, and a smidgen of screaming? It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. And uh, now we are about to hear one of the most famous movie endings of all time. Red, you go. What shall I go? What shall I do? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I can't let him go. I can't. That must be some way to bring him back. Oh, I can't think about this now. I go crazy if I do. I'll think about it tomorrow. But I must think about it. I must think about it. What is this, you? <laughs> you mean to tell me Katie Scarlet O'Hara the Tara doesn't mean anything? Man's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that lasts. Something you love better than me, though you may not know it. Tara, it's this from which you get your strength. Better than Tara. Man's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that lasts. Something you love better than me, though you may not know it. Tara, this from which you get your strength, the Red Earth of Tara. Why, man's the only thing that matters. Something you love better than me, the Red Earth of Tara. 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 Home. I'll go home. But I'll think of some way to get him back. After all, tomorrow is another day. In 1936, Margaret Mitchell published her first and only novel, the Pulitzer Prize-winning Gone with the Wind, which became an international bestseller. Set in the American South against the backdrop of the American Civil War and the Reconstruction Era, the film tells the story of Scarlett O'Hara, the strong-willed daughter of a Georgia plantation owner 
it follows her romantic pursuit of Ashley Wilkes, who's married to his cousin, Melanie Hamilton, and her subsequent marriage to the handsome and dashing Rhett Butler. Well, celebrated Hollywood mogul David Ode Selzik sees the rights to this move, to this book, a mere month after its publication. He paid Margaret Mitchell $50,000 to make a movie of her novel. Cast to play the leading roles were Vivian Lee as Scarlet, and then a hard-fought-for Clark Gable who nearly everyone thought was the only actor who could possibly play Rhett Butler. But to do it, David O. Selznick would have to make a deal with another studio to bring him over. And it happened. And uh, then we've got the uh, Leslie Howard as the meek and mild Ashley. He's beloved, but uh, anyways. And also Olivia de Havilland, who's still alive, folks, at 103, I think. And the film received positive reviews upon its release in December of 39. So it was a holiday release. With the casting was widely praised, and at the 12th Academy Awards the following year, it received 10 Academy Awards, 8 competitive, 2 honorary, from 13 nominations, including wins for Best Picture, Best Director uh, for Mr. Fleming, and Best Adapted Screenplay, which was posthumously awarded to Sidney Howard. Best Actress went to Vivian Lee, and Best Supporting Actress went to Hattie McDaniel, who, of course, played Mammy. Mammy, yeah. Yes, and then uh, she became the first African-American to win an Academy Award. It sets records for total number of wins and nominations at the time. Gone with the Wind was immensely popular when first released. It became the highest-earning film made up to that point and held the record for over a quarter of a century. That's a lot of time, folks. And and if you want to know, you want to adjust for monetary inflation, well, it's still the highest-grossing film in history. It was re-released periodically throughout the 20th century and became ingrained in our popular culture. Folks, I can't tell you how important this movie is, but Gone with the Wind is regarded as one of the greatest films of all time. There you go. It's placed in the top 10 of American Film Institute's list of top 100 American films since the list's inception. In 1998, in 1989, the United States Library of Congress selected it for preservation in the National Film Registry. Wow. Following publication of her novel, Margaret Mitchell was inundated with requests for a sequel, but claimed to not have a notion of what happened to Scarlet and Red. After all, she based it on some real-life people and that she had left them to their ultimate fate. Mitchell continued to resist pressure from Selznick and MGM to write a sequel until her untimely death in 1949. Now, DJ, 
it, it, one of the reasons she never wrote another novel is she died so early. It was a car accident or something, right? Yeah, she was apparently on her way to the theater, and she was uh, just a pedestrian who got struck by an oncoming car. Well, that's tragic. I mean, who knows what, you know, if she had lived, I kind of think maybe she would have eventually written the sequel. But, folks, that never happened. Oh, my goodness. But we're not here tonight uh, to talk about Gone with the Wind, uh, are we, DJ? Oh, no, no, no. Now, this Gone with the Wind may have been what your parents or your grandparents maybe watched when they were young. But this is my generation's Scarlet. In fact, called Scarlet. And that's right, Toppy. We're here to discuss 1994's CBS television miniseries sequel to Gone with the Wind. The idea for a sequel to Gone with the Wind was immediately desired after the smash success of the original novel and movie, but it didn't happen until the 90s. And in 94, the idea was revived in the television miniseries Scarlet, which debuted on CBS, based upon a novel by Alexandra Ripley, born and raised in the South, romance author, itself a sequel to Mitchell's book, Scarlet, tells the story of the titular character's relocation to Ireland after becoming once again pregnant by Mr. Rat Butler. DJ, let's play the trailer. Now, folks, I I found some trailers that were from the original uh, CBS uh, trailers that, that would have been actually heard on network TV but they were horrible and not worth listening to. So instead, we found a trailer from when, I guess, the whole thing was sent over to Hallmark. And, um, and this is, so this is not the trailer you would have heard on CBS, but this is, was created later. Nonetheless, a trailer uh, we can hear. Uh, the Hallmark Channel, the uh, the next generation of Lifetime movies. <laughs> ah, kind of. <laughs> Here we go. From Hallmark Home Entertainment comes the most anticipated sequel in history. The epic saga of the most beloved motion picture of all time continues. Welcome home, Red Honey. Welcome to Charleston, Scott. Hallmark Home Entertainment presents Scarlet. Oh! I'm so glad you've come home. The long-awaited sequel to Margaret Mitchell's classic, Gone with the Wind. There's no fable to it. It's home. From the producers of Lonesome Dove and Gulliver's Travels, Scarlet stars Joanne Wally Kilmer of Trial by Jury, Scandal, and Willow. I'm here to be with you. Well, I don't want you here, Scarlet. I no longer love you. And Timothy Dalton of The Living Daylights and License to Kill. Scarlet's never entirely gotten over her feelings for Ashley Wilkes. The other week she decided to do something about that. Along with an all-star international cast. Return to the epic romance. I will never divorce you. Never. You'll be free to marry Ashley. Don't want Ashley. With America's most cherished heroine. I didn't dream you'd come. You're just as damn incorrigible as you ever were. Scarlet. From Hallmark Home Entertainment. And here we are at the beautiful historical Marionette Theater, folks. 
joined together by a great love of film and television trivia. And it mm-hmm. is a crisp Friday evening. And, uh, well, Toppy, I, uh, I, I have to wonder if the person who thought a animal should be in charge of the forecast watch that Bill Murray movie one too many times because I don't know about you <laughs> but mm-hmm. that whole groundhog not seeing his shadow that uh, that's just a load of malarkey because we got nearly half a foot dropped us, uh, on us here in yeah. uh, western New York um, and of mm-hmm. course I'm talking about the snow I, I couldn't even open my windows until I was halfway to work uh, DJ load of malarkey was exactly the right word for it <laughs> i had to shovel out my car and my back my back ached like crazy it was a chore uh we had uh, a major amount of snowfall but thankfully uh we we got here to the baronet theater yes and my happy thought right now is uh, well, I mean, you know, we we probably couldn't get hit like that again real soon. Knock on wood, but I hope not. Uh, my happy thought is is that now that it's been a year ago since the Neko Candy Company, one of America's oldest candy companies, went out of business, somebody has finally picked up the reins and is starting making some of those old-fashioned candies. I'm talking about those sweet little pieces of chalk. Everyone remembers the conversation hearts, and they're now in stores again because it's Valentine's Day around the corner. Well, I got to tell you, uh, those Valentine hearts with the little sayings printed on them, like "I love you" or whatever, "f off," I don't know. <laughs> and uh, but they really were little round, uh, thick. Necco wafers, weren't they? <laughs> you know, before the Necco Candy Company went out, they uh, they had a limited run of tropical flavored wafers. Not many folks oh. got to try them. I think if they'd been able to stick around for a little longer, they they might have uh, you know made it. But w- hubby and I were junk food junkies, and just the fact that we could find our little conversation hearts. Uh, just uh, warms the cockles of our hearts. <laughs> well, I got to ask you because uh, you and Billy are such um, connoisseur. fan- <laughs> connoisseurs. That's a good word <laughs> of uh, old uh, candy and cakes uh, produced for mass consumption. Now, are, are Necco wafers gone? You or know, they still being produced. That's a good question. I think that a, like a lot of classic candies, it's hard to say who owns the rights to which things because a lot of those old-fashioned candies were not about a trademark name. It was the the shape or the form that it took. So okay. uh, when Necco went out of business, the the product lines got scattered to the winds. It was basically an auction: who bought what. I have not found the wafer candies yet. Me neither. And I don't know if they can actually call them Neckos, of course, because that was a name. So I would have to say I'm on the hunt for the the replacement stand-in wafer candy. Okay, I'll go along with that. They were harsh, (laughs) but uh, and they were chalky, uh, but we all remember them well. Uh, DJ, one of the things we like to do here on matinee minutia is to kind of set the stage. And what we mean by that is to talk about what was going on in the world 
1994 when this miniseries, Scarlet, debuted. So, DJ, uh, take it away. Okay, well, in 1994, when Scarlet hit the airwaves on CBS, figure skater Tanya Harding pled guilty to conspiracy for trying to come up an attack on figure skating rival Nancy Kerrigan. Uh, Folks, never were the Olympics so entertaining. (laughs) 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 Reality TV at its finest. Honestly. And she's fined a hundred thousand dollars and banned from the sport. Oops. Yeah. Now in '94, Schindler's List at the movies won seven Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Director. And uh, you would never guess the man behind it was Mr. Steven Spielberg, who brought you E.T. in the '80s. Yeah. And then in 94, I was an uncle in the early days then. Really? Lion King was released and is the highest grossing film of the year that year. It was $422 million. And I could tell you, I got that thing memorized. I had to watch it on repeat constantly babysitting. <laughs> in 94, President Bill Clinton signed the Federal Assault Weapons Ban which bans the manufacture of new firearms with certain features for a period of 10 years. Oh. Mm. That didn't work out so well. Yeah, let's, let's uh, have a roving reporter check in on that. Mm. Uh, Heather Whitestone became the first hearing-impaired contestant to win the Miss America entitlement. I kind of remember that. Yeah. yeah. And former U.S. President Ronald Reagan tear down this wall, announced that he has Alzheimer's disease. Oh, Mommy, I I don't remember where I left my toothpaste. Oh, (laughs) never mind. (laughs) And then lastly, but not least, in 94, uh, W. George Jr. Bush was elected governor of Texas. Well, that was a trend. Anyways, never mind. Uh, Let's uh, take a look at who uh, was boithed. And who died that year? So born in 94, Dakota Fanning. How about that? Uh, she was in Uptown Girls in 2003 with Brittany Murphy. She was at War of the Worlds with 2005 with Tom Cruise. Well, who died that year? Well, uh, it was Cesar Romero at the age of 87. And... Jack King Kirby, the famous comic book artist who had a career spanning decades, died at age 77. By the way, you can thank Jack Kirby for all of the Marvel movies that have come out from Marvel Studios slash Disney. He basically invented everything that you've seen uh, but doesn't get enough credit anyways haha uh, Kurt Cobain oh dear musician he was only 27 folks that was a tragedy also that year Richard Nixon well there you go Jackie Onassis the same year can you believe that former first lady from 65 
<laughs> then we've got Dick Sargent. Oh, from Did Bewitched. He was, was he the first? He was the second. He was the Darren. second Darren. Right. Oh, anyways, we love Dick Sargent. Also, and I love her too, Martha Ray. Oh, yes. That uh, comic actress, singer that did so much before anybody knew anything, and she had quite a set of chompers that she advertised <laughs> denture cream or uh, something like that. Yeah, she was, she was the fresh mouth. Yeah, Martha and, Ray. Uh, I, and uh, as a child, I remember learning about Miss Martha Ray as uh, a celebrity from my dad's youth. And at the time, she was in reruns on Alice as Mel's mother. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Mel's mother. I can see her doing that. <laughs> so also in 94, since Scarlett was on television, we're going to tell you a little bit about what was competing for your attention span around then. So uh, Scarlett, it was a month long event on CBS. Mm. It aired on Sundays. So we had four Sundays and, uh, you know, an installment about an hour and a half each. So it was a movie of the week for the whole month. And, uh, on the other stations, on ABC, they aired Lethal Weapon 3. Uh, so, you know, that's where they say the movies go to die as they go on TV. Uh, NBC aired JFK, which I guess was timed um, in in uh, in memory of Jackie Onassis. Hmm. And uh, it was about, of course, Kennedy's... Um, reign of what they call the Camelot era. Uh, DJ, let me just clarify. Mm -hmm. This NBC JFK, w w was that the, the, the theatrical release movie? You know, it might have been the Oliver Stone film. That's what I'm thinking. Is that what it was? I think so. All right. and, and then on Fox, uh, they aired, well, Fox didn't have a movie on Sundays that time. They were airing Married with Children. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. Between you and me, GJ, I never warmed up to married with children. You know, um, the only thing that I found of value in married with children were some of the cast had other talents. Like, um, I want to say Brian Austin Green, I think, was the son. And he went on to the Austin Powers movies as the as the, the son as well. But um, Christina Applegate got her start. On Married with Children, and Katie Seagal, that was Peg Bundy. Mm -hmm. She is a actress who has had uh, several other credits. She was on a series with John Ritter called Thirteen Reasons or Th Thirteen Simple Rules, is what it was for dating my daughter. And um, she also, of course, is the voice on Futurama of the uh, the one-eyed alien woman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I totally believe you. <laughs> DJ, <clears throat> let's start talking about the cast of Scarlet. Who was in this damn thing? Well, you know, they, they had a, a boatload of talent of, of TV celebrities in this. But to start off, we've got somebody who just in the decade before got her to start on the silver screen. And uh, Joanne Wally is uh, is is a teetotaler. She's British, and uh, at the time she was by the name of Kilmer because she she met her 
uh, future uh, ex-husband uh, Val Kilmer while filming Willow. It's a, a Disney film that was one of Ron Howard's early productions. And she was the witch's daughter in Willow. Ah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she's had numerous television roles ever since. Most notably, she was recently in episodes of ABC's comic-themed Daredevil series from 2015 to 18. And then she was also in seven episodes of a show called Gossip Girl. And I, I think that that may be an ABC show. Okay. And just to clarify, that Daredevil series had nothing to do with the Netflix t- uh, series of the Marvel comic book here, Ooh. Daredevil. Yeah. Was it more like the, um, the not Matt Damon, I keep forgetting, Ben Affleck movie that was done, possibly? Well, uh, no. The Netflix series totally, I think, much, much better than that movie. <laughs> Anyways, um, <clears throat> let's talk about uh, the other uh, star. So Joanne uh, Whaley mm-hmm. was uh, Scarlet. Yes. Opposite her was cast Timothy Dalton. Now, I was hoping you were going to say, let's talk about Timothy Dalton. Please, I'd like to talk about Timothy Dalton. <laughs> uh, DJ, he was, was he not the perfect person to oh. choose to play Rhett Butler? He had those smoldering looks. I mean, imagine the casting problems of this miniseries. Uh, we've got this huge movie, and then we need the, the we need the viewers, we need the audience to believe that these people that we've cast are the same people. I think they did a great job. I think Joanne Whaley Kilmer was. Perfect as Scarlet, and Timothy Dalton was perfect as Red. What do you think? I I wholeheartedly agree, and it's interesting to note that while this is a sequel, some half a century later, these uh, actors are playing roles they didn't originate, and they have more screen time than the people who started the roles. Right, because. This this miniseries is a freaking six-hour event. <laughs> That's interesting, yeah. So Timothy Dalton, well, we, you guys know him. He was starring in The Living Daylights, a Bond movie. Then he did another Bond movie, License to Kill. And uh, I guess uh, more recently we've seen him in DC's Doom Patrol. I, I, I'm not hip to uh, recent Timothy Dalton things, but I'm sure he's a still working actor. Well, more recently, Timothy Dalton has done voice work, and he has been the uh, voice of the the porcupine character in the Toy Story films, the Mr. Prickle fans. No uh, kidding. I think in the last decade, uh, Timothy Dalton had an appearance in a a kind of a special episode of Doctor Who, and he got to play sort of um, a prime minister of sorts character. Uh, The character's name is Rassilon in Doctor Who. So he he had a, like a cameo role in that, and that he was a you know a, a leader 
type. All right. Well, DJ, uh, there was a, a, an actress that was uh, cast to play uh, Rhett's latest love interest as we lead into this new chapter of everybody's lives. Who is that? Well, you know, um, and this poor lady, she doesn't get hardly half the screen time that the, the main stars do. But Annabeth Gish, she plays uh, Rhett's new love interest because, of course, at some point in the story, Scarlet goes abroad and they are on the rocks. And uh, so his eye is caught by Annabeth Gish. She's playing a character of Anne Hampton. And Anne is a lady who's in Rhett's mother's women's society. Uh-huh. And uh, some of you may have noticed uh, Anne, or, uh, Beth, Annabeth Gish from one of her more recent roles. She was in the last couple of seasons of The X-Files as sort of a, a replacement character for um, Dana Scully. Her character was Monica Reyes. And- yes, I loved her in The X-Files. Yeah, and she's kept working. You know, she was in a series that our friend the Shy Yeti was quite fond of called Pretty Little Liars. And hmm. she did a few other things, including Julia Roberts' first film, Mystic Pizza. Oh. And uh, uh, contrary to popular belief, although she's got a recognizable last name, Annabeth Gish is constantly reminding folks that she is no relation to the silent film star Lillian Gish or even Dorothy Gish, just <laughs> a similar name. That's right. And uh, let's take a look at uh, one of the other big stars that was in Scarlet, and that's Anne Margaret. And she played uh, a friend of Rhett Butler, but she was a kind of a, a, she was a madam, wouldn't we say, DJ? Oh, yes. She was the lady that ran the house of ill refute. Which Rhett uh, uh, frequently was uh, a, a participant in. Anyways, <laughs> Anne Margaret, well, she's Sweden-born. And, you know, her career goes back to the 60s. And uh, most notably, her early role was Kim McAfee and Bye Bye Birdie. And uh, she went on to do many more things. But just before she did Scarlet, she was in a theatrical release called Grumpy Old Men. A lot of people will remember her from that. She was with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Yeah, and she played uh, Jack Lemmon's love interest in that. She was a divorcee. Yeah, that was a cool role. So, next in the cast, and uh, this is just rounding it out, because there's a boatload of talent in this. and we Lots of people. There'll be some honorable mentions here shortly, but... uh, uh, February is Black History Month in America, and so we want to take a moment to mention Mr. Paul Winfield was in Scarlet, yes. and he played Big Sam, which was one of the, the hired hands that worked at Terra, and now that the, the Civil War is over and slaves gain their freedom, Big Sam, played by Paul Winfield, he's gone out on his own and he's become an independent businessman. Now, what you should know about Mr. Winfield is he is one of the first three black persons to be nominated for an Oscar for Best Actor, following the likes of Sidney Poitier and James Earl Jones. You know, DJ, the thing, one of the movies that I remember Paul Winfield 
the most it was was Sounder. Have you ever seen Sounder? I have not. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. Uh, I can't even describe it except that it, it was a period movie of... Um, all I know is Jeepers Creepers people um, catch Sounder sometime with Cicely Tyson and Paul Winfield. Incredible movie. Um, uh in fact, it turns out, I, I don't know. You know, who knows what Hollywood uh, spoiler paper said, but they said that Cicely Tyson was romantically linked to uh, Paul Winfield. But the DJ, I think maybe, was he privately a homosexual? He was, and in fact, um, some of the story, and he's told it before his passing because uh, Mr. Winfield is no longer with us, and that um, he ended up moving to San Francisco after he started his career so that he could uh, live in more comfortable surroundings. And he was with his partner for some 30 years, and uh, actually I do believe that he survived him for a few years. All right, there you go, folks. So let's talk about... Uh, very briefly, some of the other notable actors in this vast cast. DJ, one of the... <coughs> in the first segment of Scarlet, Gene uh, Smart comes in as oh, this cigar-smoking woman. And I thought, oh, my God, she was like a breath of fresh air. And <laughs> I thought, oh, my goodness, how wonderful. <clears throat> and then she disappeared from the series and didn't come back to the fourth part. And I was a little disappointed. I said, God damn, I want to see more of her. But she came back in the fourth part. It was a fun character. She was Rhett's childhood friend. And she was a little bit of a tomboy. Very much a tomboy. And I even have to wonder... Mm, GJ, you've listened to the audiobook. Mm -hmm. Is there more about that character? Um, the 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 um, the extrapolation they do in the audiobook, and of course, as they say, it's a bridge, so it's the highlights of the novel. Uh, is that uh, her character was Belle, and she was known as Belle because her husband, which I don't think was in the miniseries. Um, had her driving about town in her her buggy with bells on it because they were alerting the folks that she was coming down the street. <laughs> All right. Well, to me, I mean, this is just my impression of Jean Smart's character, but I thought lesbian, I thought, especially as she comes back in the last episode, she is a f absolutely a friend and confidant of Rhett Butler. But she's also helping Scarlet. And she's sort of this in-between person who feels sympathy for Scarlet and, and clearly loves Rhett as a friend. They are clearly friends. And I just felt like, this is a lesbian. Did you get that vibe? Yeah, you know, there. The, uh, one of the other shows that I like to listen to is called History is Gay, and they talk about people of note throughout history who had reputations who actually happened to be gay. So it wouldn't surprise me if Belle Watling 
uh, you know, was one of those people that um, because of the personality she had, it was hinted at strongly that she could have been gay. I, yeah, I didn't know if I was reading into it or not, but that was my take. So let's move on uh, to some of the other uh, characters, uh, actors of note. Julie Harris from Broadway and movies and television. She had a long career. She played Rhett's, Brett Butler's mother. Oh. And also we've got Stephen Collins. And he did a, a series called Seventh Heaven for a damn long time. And he was also Commander Decker in the 79 Star Trek, the motion picture. Also related to Star Trek, DJ, another uh, character in Scarlet was portrayed uh, by Cole Meany, who yeah. was in Star Trek TNG. I loved his character in Scarlet. Oh, yes, Father Colm O'Hara. And I was horrified. Uh, at his demise, that was spoiler. You know, I, yeah, spoiler. <laughs> uh, I did not expect that because he was such a friend to Scarlet, and they had such a great relationship. And uh, you know, speaking of Star Trek, you know we've got uh, we've got um, Steve or uh, Stephen Collins, and then also Paul Winfield actually played the first uh, character of uh, African-American descent in a Star Trek movie. He was the captain <laughs> of the Reliant in Star Trek II. Very good. Excellent. A good, good call. That's true. Yeah, I didn't think about the Yeah, boy, it all comes around to Star Trek, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, Columini, uh, Columini was quite the busy guy at the time that Scarlet came out because he had just left Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, he was, uh, his character was continuing on with Deep Space Nine. So it was a good year to be Kalamini with the wallet then. I guess so. I guess so. Uh, DJ, uh, the last actor, and there were many others, but we can only get to a few, that I really loved in Scarlet was Sir John Gilgood. And uh, if people don't know him from anything, his career is vast. But he was the butler in Arthur with Dudley Moore and Liza Minnelli. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, let's go to the park, Hobson. I love Yes! <laughs> Anyways, he had a part in this. And, and uh, Sir John Gilgood and Scarlet, they had some good scenes. They sure did. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Toppy, we are about the point where we're halfway through our show. So if you would, go ahead and set up a, a brief interruption here, a little interlude of intermission. Well, I thought this would be interesting. What we're going to play for you is a clip from uh, these two guys that uh, had a, a show. Uh, they were movie reviews. Probably most of you maybe know their names, Siskel and Ebert. Uh, uh, both of them have unfortunately passed away, but they did a little segment on the show that I thought you'd be interested in because they talk about the Scarlet book 
that had come out and caused a bit of a cessation. And also they knew that the rights to the book had been purchased. And so they thought uh, that they would do a little a little segment on their shoe, Siskel and Ebert, uh, about who they decided, well, if it was left up to us, who would we cast? as Scarlet, and who would we cast as Rhett Butler? And I thought this was interesting. So let's have a listen to Siskel and Ebert as they thought about casting Scarlet. A sequel to Gone with the Wind named Scarlet has been published through almost unanimously bad reviews, but it's on the top of all the bestseller lists, and now it's been sold for $8 million to television. Yes, the sequel to the most famous movie of all time is going to be a miniseries. And so, therefore, since we're on television, we can provide a useful service to the people who are making this project. Who should play Scarlet and Rhett? And let's not beat around the bush because it's a made-for-TV movie. Tom Selleck, a highly popular TV performer, is a probable choice. And on a recent Phil Donahue show, I saw it last night, it was, I think, a year old, he said he wouldn't take the part because, in his words, Clark Gable is irreplaceable. Well, he's right, but they are going to replace him. So my pick is an actor who I think will work well with my Scarlet. And this is the category I'm really sure of. My Scarlet is Demi Moore, a classic beauty from the South. She can play a spitfire, someone dreamy, someone willing to fight, someone willing to surrender. And you could see all that in her movie Ghost. Sam's dead, okay? He's dead. Tell her I love her. He says he loves you. Sam would never say that. And who should play her, Rhett? Alec Baldwin from The Hunt for Red October. He's big enough. He'll tower over Demi Moore, just like Clark Gable towered over Vivian Lee. He's a ladies' man as well as a man's man. He has a slick side, a brush side, as well as a charming side. You could see that in his picture, The Marrying Man. He was the best thing in the movie. I am crazy, nuts, absolutely insane for her. I think I've come up with a very compatible couple. It's not just picking two individuals. Will they work together? I think they will. Demi Moore might actually do the role. I don't know if anybody wants to follow Clark Gable. You know, I think one thing people are going to notice about your casting is that Red and Scarlet have both inexplicably gotten to be a lot younger since yeah. the original film instead of older. And I I don't really think that's fair. I tried in casting the movie to get people who were in the right age, age segments, and I hope I did. When I think of the central quality of Red Butler, it's a sort of challenging, self-confident sexuality wrapped up in a tall, dark, and handsome facade. And although Tom Selleck has been mentioned for the role, darn it all, Tom Selleck is just too nice to play Rep Butler. Also, his voice squeaks in the uh, higher octave range. The role requires an actor who can project more of a hard edge, more of a menacing sexuality. An actor like Timothy Dalton, in my opinion. Now, I know Dalton is British, but so is Vivian Lee, and that didn't seem to bother anybody. Here's Dalton as James Bond, a character who has a lot in common with Rep Butler. Would you get me a medium dry vodka martini? What a shaken. Not stirred. In casting Scarlett O'Hara, there are three qualities they'll have to keep in mind. Her flightiness, her headstrong egotism, and her undeniable sexiness and charm. And there is one actress I can think of who would be terrific at combining those qualities with a convincing southern accent and who is the right age, and that actress is Meryl Streep. I would love to work with you when you make your move. I think we would knock them right on their fannies. <laughs> you really like the wind, don't you? <sighs> When I want something, I go get it. And so I think 
Dalton and Streep would blow Demi Moore and Alec Baldwin out of the water. I, Streep is our greatest actress. I'm sure she could do the role. She won't get anywhere near it. It, it can only be a downside for her career. But more important, Timothy Why Dalton... Why would it be a downside to play Scarlett O'Hara? Beca because she will say, I'm, I'm trading with a classic. I can only lose. Uh, but here, Timothy Dalton, I think, is basically sort of too... He's a fine actor. Too narrow... Um, sort of has a whiny quality to him. He doesn't have that big, imposing, tree-like quality yeah. in the best sense of Gable. Well, That's why it's going to be tougher to find someone of quality to play Gable. Okay, what do you think? Write us with your suggestions here at Crystal <laughs> Ebert, care of WBBM Television, 630 North McClurg Court, Chicago, Illinois, 60611. Give us your reasons. We'll read the two best letters we get on a future show, and we'll be right back. <sighs> you know, it would be funny to find out what people wrote in. But anyways, I just thought it was interesting that Roger did see, uh, pick out Timothy Dalton, who got the role. Right, and in the end, they ended up casting similar to the original because uh, arguably both Vivian Lee or not Vivian Lee, haha, that's how good they did it, folks. Uh, Joanne Wally and <laughs> Timothy Dalton are both from the UK. Let's talk about more of the people behind the scenes here. Let's start out with the director, who was John Ehrman. And I thought he did a great job with this. And uh, he's got like 67 directing credits. Let's look at his early work. It was all on television. This was a TV-produced miniseries. It goes all the way back to episodes of my favorite martian uh that girl the ghost and mrs muir so he you know these i mean he was well entrenched in tv uh however in 1990 he stepped out into a theatrical released movie called stella that was with bet midler um let's talk about the writer of Scarlet, they got actually to their credit, they got Alexander Ripley, who wrote the novel, to also work on the screenplay. But with her, they also hired William Hanley, who has another million TV credits to his name. Uh, by the way, Alexander Ripley, if you wanted to know, besides writing Scarlet, the novel, uh, she also wrote a novel called Who's That Lady in the President's Bed? She Ooh. wrote a novel called From Fields of Gold, and she wrote a novel called A Love Divine. And uh, so she, you know, she was writing these books, and obviously... Uh, the, the the people that uh, were trying to get together the sequel saw her as, um, you know, a person that 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 could take this novel, uh, uh, the sequel to Gone with the Wind, and do something with it. And uh, while I've never read the novel, I. I do think that her contribution to the screenplay, um, you know, certainly made it uh, some good viewing material. Now, did you, I think we already mentioned, you've heard 
you've been listening to her actual novel of Scarlet. Mm-hmm, I am. And what do you what what have you thought about it? Well, I should note that one of the reasons why I wanted to discuss Scarlet was that when it came out, I was in high school, and today it's one of the longest novels that I've read. In fact, in that day. It was over the course of the weekend that I tore through the 800-some pages. Good Lord, DJ. <laughs> and uh, before I discovered sci-fi, I had a certain fondness for romance and mystery novels. Because, of course, when you're in the closet, you kind of identify with leading ladies. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the audiobook adaptation of Scarlet is a fine piece of work and it stars one of Gene Smart's co-stars from designing women in the eighties, Dixie uh-huh. Carter, who is not only a, a screen, but theater actress did the reading of the audiobook. Oh, I could see how that would be a treat, but what did you, I mean, uh, uh, separate from this mini series, mm-hmm. what, what did you think of, of, uh, of this novel? By Alexander Ripley. It it was uh, it, it satisfied a curiosity. Now it's no secret that uh, my family is of Irish descent, and this installment in the Adventures of Scarlet follows her in what becomes of her marriage, and it, uh, it it follows up on the breadcrumbs. You know, she she lost her father in the original story. Uh, Gerald O'Hara passed away and he, you know, he left his family, the plantation, but she always knew that she was named after someone that she'd never met. So in the plantation, we should always keep in mind was Tara. Yes. And it, it was named after a actual place in Ireland that was presumably the, the, uh, the home of one of Ireland's historical Kings. And also I think, a very memorable part of Scarlet was Scarlet coming to the actual place of her ancestors that in Ireland was originally named Tyra. I thought that was powerful. That was a really good scene. It was. And so I just felt that Scarlet had a lot of elements there that were just intriguing to me because being of Irish descent, I wanted to know what Scarlett learned on her travels. But I also watched Gone with the Wind because my father was a love or had a love of classic films. And I just wondered what happened to this poor woman after she lost her child and her husband abandoned her. Mm-hmm. And uh, listening to Scarlett, uh, were, were were you? Did it feel like the same characters, and 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 did you feel like this this was the next telling of of uh, another chapter in the lives? Did it did it jive with you? It did. You know, it didn't feel like a remake. Even I mean, yes, it is a sequel, and you know, it is a half century later. So of course, you're not going to have Clark Gable and Vivian Lee, but. Um, it was sort of my generation's gone with the wind because as I watched it and, you know, in that time, soap operas were still very much on network TV. It felt very realistic to me. It felt like naturally this is the continuation of the story. It's not just an attempt. These 
actors in those roles are those characters to me. And uh, as we may get into some of these sets and the locations that they chose for this were very believable and it just puts you right there in history alongside them. I agree with that. Um, I, I, I totally bought uh, in the miniseries Scarlet that, that, that this was a believable continuation of Gone with the Wind. So I was, I was on board and I felt on board from the beginning. So there was no problem with that. And I hope uh, people watch it. Uh, they'll feel the same way. Because I think they delivered. I really do. Let's talk about the last person in the creative team that I, I just want to mention. And that's the composer. Uh, there's a, a uh, you know, the, 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 this miniseries is not without uh, musical accompaniment and uh, um, accent. So, composer John Morris uh, is responsible for the theme. <laughs> There's just something funny about this theme, DJ, that uh, I just want to see if you recognize or the audience because it starts out as, as very... Um, Flo uh, flo is that a word? Floretic? Uh, fl uh, mm -hmm. uh, but then there's a certain turn not too long in that takes it to a different place in my mind. Before I tell you what it is, well, maybe I should tell you now. Okay. Uh, it turns into, all of a sudden, it turned uh, suddenly into... Uh, what sounds like uh, the theme from one of those uh, animated cartoons like Rudolph. Who did those? Oh, Rankin and Bass. Yes! <laughs> TJ Play, Scarlet theme, too. I, I gotta prove to the audience this is true, because it made me laugh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Once those French horns or whatever they were come in, all I can think of is like Rudolph or something. It just made me laugh. That, that's <laughs> all. I just had to point that out. Well, uh, folks, uh, we uh, do need to finish up with some of what I think are very important parts of the team that made this movie, and that would be production designer Richard Moss. Oh, so many TV credits, folks, going from MASH to all the way back to Nanny and the Professor, which is one of my favorite uh, little shoes from the 60s. Also, Land of the Giants, believe it or not. Uh, and then we got to talk about the cinematography, which I thought was really good. That's by Tony Emmy. Also, many. He worked in TV forever. DJ, let's talk about the cinematography in this miniseries. Uh, 
This was a period piece. It took place before there was electricity or gaslight. And in every scene that took place at night, I believed that that set was being lit by candlelight. It was impressive. They did it. I mean, I believed that this was candlelight. And, And if you think of, like, Typical TV series of the time, like Little House in the Prairie, and uh, you know, that would also have been in candlelight. You know, those scenes were pretty brightly lit. <laughs> but Scarlet, I watched it and I said, God damn, that is a scene lit by candlelight or by fireplace. What did you think about that? Yeah, it it definitely had a romantic element to it because, of course, this is supposed to be a romantic story. And you felt like it's not just an imitation of the the setting for this story because it does take place in the past, you know, on the heels of Gone with the Wind. This is in the the period they call the Reconstruction. So it's the 1870s. And, um, you know, we get some fantastic locations in this because scarlet is now paying respects to her relatives she's going to savannah and she's going to charleston and these are places in the south that have been very well preserved because they were the they were influenced by the colonial period you had spain and france who were colonizing that part of the country before america developed into statehoods so you know you get charleston and you get savannah and as you were saying you know the attention to detail on this i mean scarlet it was filmed in 53 locations in the u.s and abroad yeah 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 yeah. it was impressive uh when when they do the exterior locations uh, in Savannah or wherever, they're beautiful. They're just beautifully shot. So noticeable. I mean, you, you can't escape it. They did it so well. And then when they went to Ireland, uh, the scenery, the exteriors were just, I mean, you. you oh, I, I was so impressed. I was so impressed. And they, they did a great job with all of that they made it feel like you were really there definitely so now we're going to well point out a few things that are moments you shouldn't miss in the series and it was a month-long event so of course there's four chapters but uh, here are some highlights that toppy and i picked out that uh, are moments you shouldn't miss so i'm going to start this off by talking about when Scarlett decides to finally uh, reach out to her relatives. She's, she's visited the family home again after leaving Charleston where her husband and she are on the rocks. And then she's decided, well, I'm going to go visit my mother's relations in Savannah. Right. Well, let's remember DJ, a really important reason why she does this. And that's because in Scarlett, Episode two, mm-hmm. maybe episode one. She has a reunion with Rhett that's very brief, but leads into them 
making love. And at some point she know she realizes, oh my God, I'm pregnant. And and in, in her own mind, because of the complexity of this relationship with Brett, she decides I, I'm not going to let him know. I am not going to tell him that I'm having his baby. But how can I hide it? And she realizes I got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. I've got to leave the country. Where does she go? She goes to Ireland. Well, and uh, she has an opportunity as well because she becomes acquainted with one of her cousins who happens to be a Irish priest, Father Colm O'Hara, played by Colomini. And he's uh, often traveling for his line of work. So she uh, hitches a ride with him when he's going back to yes. the homeland. But, uh, you know, before she actually gets to Ireland, she settles in for a spell in Savannah where she meets her mother's father, the grandfather. Now, oh, yes. this is a character that you can't miss, and this is a moment you shouldn't miss, because from the moment she sets foot in the house, she understands that she's under his thumb. Because although great, or her grandfather is an uh, elderly gentleman, he has a uh, strong presence in his house. Yeah, and DJ, we should remind them that this is portrayed by... Oh, the legend. Sir John Gilgood. Yes. And so, you know, Scarlet knows that Grandpa uh, Robillard, because he's, he's, he's a man of a French descent, he's not fond of the O'Haras because, uh, well, you know, they're, they're Irish immigrants and uh, the, he never cared for his son in law, Gerald. But uh, Scarlet goes to visit her grandfather and knows that she's not, uh, you know, uh, his favorite grandchild and uh before long we realize that they're both strong of character in fact she stands up to her grandfather yeah yeah she does not she does not back down to this uh kind of reverential uh patriarchal uh, figure and she does not back down <laughs> and so of course one of the reasons why they they lock horns is because her she takes after her grandfather he's of the same strong character and uh, before you know it we find out that uh scarlet bears a resemblance to her late grandmother grandfather's late wife and he becomes fond of her the more time she spends with him so much so that she he asks her to stay with him until his passing, and he is made a handsome offer. She would be the heir of his estate. Ah, uh, yes. So what do you think is a moment that our listeners shouldn't miss in this series? Hopefully? Well, okay, my choice would be, I believe it happens in uh, episode three. Scarlet as we've already mentioned, has become pregnant through this, like, one-time dalliance with Rhett. She's become pregnant again with Rhett. And, she, you know, it's the reason she moves off state to, to Ireland. However, the birth scene, DJ... Holy Jesus! <laughs> uh, uh, the, 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 there's a lightning storm. It's Halloween Eve, yes. by the way, uh, and uh, she breaks water 
up in her bedroom, and and, and, and it goes down to where uh, her relatives are. Uh, except that as she goes down the stairs, she starts dripping blood that we can see. And we know something horrible is happening. Her family members find her and take her to, I think, the kitchen and and strap her down with uh, leather straps and her legs and her arms to the table because they know there's a problem with the pregnancy. This old wizened woman shows up. They they go out seeking her, thinking that it's Halloween Eve. Nobody's going to come up because this is very superstitious. No scarier time of year for those folks. Uh, in, in Ireland, you didn't monkey around with this bullshit. <laughs> but this woman comes out, and she arrives at the house. She's very old. She needs to be helped up the steps. They bring her into the kitchen where Scarlet is strapped down, and... There is a scene of her C-section that is unforgettable. It's, you know, I mean, it's within the bounds of good taste. So if you're afraid of seeing it, but it is powerful. And she she delivers this baby in delirium. She doesn't know what's going on. And it's only her, these people that know the knowledge of how to do this. Um, you know, she's a midwife or something or a witch. We don't know, but it's very hocus pocusy. And it's all done to this rain and thunder and Beautifully, it, you you can't forget the scene, don't you think, DJ? Yeah, you're definitely glued to the screen as this is happening because it's a movie right or a scene right out of a horror movie. Kinda, yeah, absolutely. Any other memorable scenes? Well, there uh, there is uh, when uh, Scarlet is arriving in Ireland with her cousin, the the father Colm O'Hara. She is driving through a village and she witnesses her first moment of the the reality of the Irish people. Now, keeping in mind, this is the 1870s. And, uh, you know, for those of you who who may not be schooled in the history of Ireland, basically, Ireland has been an occupied territory for some 200 years. There were uh, over a period of history, they've had three different invasions of uh, the Vikings, the Normans, and finally the Brits. And so at the time, Ireland had lost their own government. Now, uh, and, 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 and even it's even mentioned in they've lost their language, Gaelic. Yes. Uh, so th- this is deep. This is deep and- stuff. And as they're driving through the village, Scarlet notices this poor woman being driven out of her house. And there are men in uniform, and they're setting her house on fire. And that's explained by her cousin that uh, the woman is a as a tenant. She's being evicted for not being paying her rent. Right. So basically, in Ireland at that time, 
the the English owned everything, and the natives, the Irish, just they they were there to rent and and like till the fields, and they were very poor. And meanwhile, uh, the English would own all the stuff, and and they would say, ah, oh, we're gonna. You know, f you. We're gonna raise cattle here on all your land. So screw you. And they had, they couldn't do anything about it. They had to just go along, except for, you know, uh, the revolutionaries. The uh, what would we call them? Oh well, they, they, the the local term they used was Fenians, which translated to the Irish Republican Army, the IRA. Okay, that was the beginning, folks, and you know that wasn't resolved until fairly recently. That whole thing went on for a long, long time. And I, I know that um, you know some folks may be wondering, but um, in more recent years, it's it's actually been noted that the uh, IRA no longer exists on paper or technically. Oh, as of like ten years ago, at least now. Yeah. But um, but anyways, it's it's important to note. Uh, having traveled to Ireland about five years ago now, I was I was hmm. thrilled to see that they are retaking their heritage. Because if you ever travel just north of New York into Canada, one of the requirements of the government in Canada is that all signage has to be in both English and French, mm-hmm. because. They don't have one national language. Well, if you visit the Republic of Ireland, I say Republic because it's the southern part of the continent or the island. Um, most of the signs that you see in public for streets and whatnot will have the English name of the streets in small letters. And in bigger letters above is the Gaelic original name of that street. Uh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, and um, you know we we didn't get around to talking about it, but it is important to note that if you decide to check out Scarlet the miniseries, uh, there there may be some subject matter that will um, disturb you because there is some depictions of domestic violence in this. True, and also I think as we've mentioned, this historical uh, mm, uh, struggle between Irish and England uh, is it uh, starts to become a major part of the plot line uh, that uh, of Scarlet, and, and she's drawn into it, and she's got a lot of money, and when she comes to Ireland. Uh, she she sees her poverty ridden relatives that that she becomes acquainted with and becomes to to love that they're in trouble and she eventually decides to help them with the struggle against the aristocracy the the English but she says there's there's a condition. You can you can use my money to help the children. You can help clothe them. You can help educate them. You can help others. But don't you spend a dime of my money on bullets or guns. And that's her condition. Yes, because uh, she uses her money and she reclaims the ancestral home, the 
the, uh, the, for lack of a better term, the mansion of Balihara, and she becomes the head of the family, the the O'Hara. So uh, before we wrap this up, just a little piece of trivia, six degrees of separation, the Kevin Bacon game, <laughs> uh, John Ehrman, who directed Scarlet, the miniseries, well, he has an important connection with the past in that a few years before, as Toppy mentioned earlier, he directed a 90s film with Bette Midler called Stella. Now, yeah. this film is a remake of a film from the 30s, which starred the actress who played Scarlett's mother in the original Gone with the Wind, Barbara O'Neill. And that film was called Stella Dallas in 1937. Mm. It's funny how these things wrap around each other. They is okay. So um, now is the time where we talk about things that you might enjoy if you liked Scarlet. This is what we call our snack tray, and uh, I'll go first. Uh, since Scarlet is sort of a historical fiction here, you know, you've got some events in history, and it's a romance uh, story. I want to entice you to check out a series that was done on stars. It's uh, the first three seasons are available on Netflix. And this is a romance novel series by author Diana Gabald, and it's called Outlander. And uh, it's about an English combat nurse from 1945. She's mysteriously swept back in time to 1743, which was when Scotland was fighting England for their independence. Hmm. And it's, based upon that series of novels uh, women's trapped in the past and she must learn to survive mm. and, um, because Scarlet is a, a book that's adapted for the screen I'm going to recommend another book by a southerner it's called Knee Deep in Paradise and this is the autobiography of southern born and raised actress comedian Brett Butler no relation to Rhett uh, and she had her own series on ABC called Grace Under Fire in the 90s. I remember that. So what yeah. do you think others might like if they enjoyed Scarlet Toppy? Well, my picks are, when you think about Scarlet, when you think about Gone with the Wind, they are epic tales uh, that uh, go on for a period of years, and... And you see the sweep and changes of history and how it all works out. And by God, if you like that kind of thing, check out David Lane's direction of Dr. Zhivago from 1965, an epic romantic drama set in Russia between the years prior to World War One and the Russian Civil War of 1917 to 1922. It's based on the 1957 Boris Pasternak novel, Dr. Zhivago. And uh, stars Omar Sharif and the Title role is Yuri Zhivago, a married physician whose life is in irreversibly altered by the Russian Revolution and subsequent civil war, and Julie Christie as his married love interest, Laura 
Antimova, Antipomova, also starring Geraldine Champlin, Rod Steiger, Alec Guinness. It's an epic, folks, and uh, it goes over a span of time. That's why it made me think of Dr. Shivago. Also, if you want to get back to that same era of TV miniseries, folks, you can't forget about The Thornburgs, starring Richard Chamberlain, Rachel Ward, Barbara Stanwyck, and Christopher Plummer. That was another miniseries that was ballyhooed. And, uh, well, I mean, I remember it. I remember it coming up. It was a not-to-be-missed TV shoe. Hmm. Alrighty, so now we're going to tell you a little bit about what's coming around the bend. Just grab that bag of coins for me, sir. Uh, yeah, it's our magic uh, coins from a, a magician in the vaudeville days of the Marinette Theater. He left these anywhere's their magic. And we place them in a gumball machine. DJ, uh, put them right in there. Get that money out. And this uh, uh, capsule that comes out is going to tell us what we're going to do next. A mid-30s space adventure newspaper comic strip turned early 80s space action adventure starring handsome former U.S. Marine Sam J. Jones. Ooh, it was after his debut in Blake Edwards 10 in 1979 with Dudley Moore and Bo Derek. You probably remember that. And fresh off of Battlestar Galactica, Melody Anderson. Flash. The plot was an American football player and his girlfriend are skyjacked and must defend Earth against the colliding planet Mongo and its evil ruler Ming, the merciless, portrayed by none other than the exorcist Max von Sydow. You can't even believe what you're going to see on Flash. Plus, music by Queen. Can you resist it? No, of course you can't. you got to be here next time on Matinee Minutia with Flash. So, folks, um, just a side note here. We normally present our show live on the first and third Friday of each month. But this next time, Toppy and I are going to be on location. <laughs> it's got to be a little different. Yes, we're going to be performing at the Farpoint Sci-Fi Convention, and that's the weekend of February 21st to 23rd in the North Baltimore suburb of Hunt Valley. And we're going to be presenting at 10 a.m. on Saturday. So, Oh, I'm very excited, DJ. We're going to be there live with a live audience. It's going to be amazing. And we will pass it along to you in the week that follows. We'll have a recording of that there show. 
so that you don't miss a step. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We'll just bid you a fun adieu. Say goodnight, Gracie. All righty. night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to univazpods.net, click the tower for audio, enter Discord for chat. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Tweet us on Twitter at matineeminutia. Find our group on Facebook. Have an idea for a show? Or let us know how we're doing. Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univazpods.net.